0: Today on the show, Bill Alvstad and Keith Myers of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast join me for what has become an annual training camp preview. They share their thoughts on who they're most looking forward to seeing play in the preseason, who are the most overlooked players on the roster as we sit here today, and we will play a game of true or false. One of the questions, will Jamal Adams be in the starting lineup when the Seahawks open their season against the Rams week one? As always, hit that like button and subscribe to the show. You are watching the Seahawks Forever podcast. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan
1: Vienz.
0: As promised, Bill Olstad and Keith Myers joining me now on the show, co-hosts of the fantastic Seahawks Playbook podcast. And this has become sort of a tradition... We have gotten together, I think, each of the last four or five years in some capacity before training camp. Although, guys, I'm quite sure that we're going to be able to keep this one under three hours. Welcome to the show, both of you. Hope you're doing
2: well. Doing great.
1: Yeah, nice, nice to be here, uh, Dan. Obviously, uh, we we welcome the opportunity to come on anytime. I mean, it's just a it's a it's a great thing, and uh, hopefully, you can uh, come on our show too here real quick.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. We're getting down to it. We are eight, what, eight days away from the start of training camp now, nine days away. Um, Some breaking news right before we hit record. Uh, Quandre Diggs once again breaks the story. Uh, Wednesday, the Seahawks are going to officially unveil the throwback uniforms. I know everyone's been looking forward to that. How how excited, all kidding aside, how excited are you guys about seeing those uniforms in their modern form on this team?
2: I'm super excited about it. I can't wait to go, um, you know, get a current jersey and the Largent colors and all of that. I I think it's going to be awesome. It's been something I've been waiting for since like, you know, 2003.
1: Mm -hmm. I own uh, three jerseys, but I'll be honest, I'm not a huge jersey guy. You know, I I like the the colors the way they are. Um, The old school stuff, I I obviously grew up on the the Seahawks. Um, So I'm, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> it should be fun. I mean, it's gonna be fun. There's no doubt. And yeah. it's a great revenue stream for the league. Oh, they're gonna the sell team. so many jerseys. And hopefully the, the players benefit as well on on some of that stuff. But yeah, it's it's fun, but you know.
0: How uh so I, obviously people think of when they think of that era of uniforms, they're gonna think of large and Cortez Kennedy, Kenny Easily guys like that. Is there is there an obscure kind of off the radar player that comes to mind quickly for each of you when you think about those uniforms? I have one. Bill, I'll start with you.
2: I got a couple.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How about Dave Craig, man? Give me Dave Craig. You you know, we just talked about Dave Craig, I don't know, like two, three months ago on the show. We'd mentioned him in passing somehow or another in, in I think on our history show we did. And uh, the guy was in the league like 19 years, played for five teams, had... 235 touchdowns and almost 40,000 yards. You'd never know it, you know, but he's top 10 in in those stats. um, In addition to being number one, um, as far as a guy that fumbles the ball. Um, But yeah, that'd be kind of fun.
2: Yeah. um, So you, you're saying obscure guys. Um, Guys that popped to mind are Paul Scanzi, wide receiver, Um, guy that, never had a lot of receptions but man it seemed that every one of them was on third down and for a first down he was a poor um, man's
0: Steve Largent sure Very poor. <laughs> um Very <poor. laughs>
2: and then uh, another name that popped into my mind when you said that was Rufus Porter okay um pass rusher like that guy one, yeah. that didn't play that long but I don't know had a cool name
0: for me it's John Kitna I don't know why I I, I think uh, I have a lot of history with him going back to watching him and covering him playing in college and And whatnot, but just that number seven, I think he wore. I don't know why he pops into my mind, but, um, interesting. You brought up Dave Craig. I'm going to do a show before training camp starts or, or shortly thereafter that I've been saving. Um, almost brought it up with Jeff Rickard the other day when he was telling some old stories and it involves Dave Craig, me, a competing broadcaster from one of my competitive stations in, uh, in the town I was working at the time and a can of chew. So just a little tease there to a very interesting (laughs) sounds like a great
1: story i'm gonna tune in for that quite
0: embarrassing uh (laughs) and humbling story all right let's get into it um let's uh let's just take it sent you some sent you guys some bullet points and really kind of wanted to touch on rather than going through a positional breakdown some of those things that i know the three of us have talked about ad nauseum this off season as we get ready to go i want to start to zero in on kind of some specific facets of this roster and and things that you're looking for once once the players hit the field. Uh, first question, and Keith will start with you on this one. Player that you're most looking forward to seeing their preseason performance?
2: Uh, Witherspoon. I'm. He, he was the number five pick. I want to see if it was worth it. I mean, they have a good starter there in Jackson, and he's now in theory out of a job. And I, I it, I'm just excited to see the guy that's good enough. That the Seahawks took him at five overall, even though they already had a good young player at the position. Um, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch this young kid just come in and and be really good right away.
1: Bill? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a logical pick for sure. I mean, you know, I think what I'm going to be doing with him is looking at where he's taking the snaps. I think more than anything because I don't think he's going to play very much in the preseason, Um, but that competition there with Michael Jackson and and him and Mm -hmm. the slot and where they're going to divide snaps and stuff, it's going to be really interesting. I put down Zach Charbonnet, and the reason Mm -hmm. that I did, and and my first inkling was I'm going to choose Jackson Smith and Jigba because I'm really looking forward to this guy moving on the field. We're going to talk about him. (laughs) But I'm thinking they're going to just kind of shut him down slow roll him out onto the field and get him ready for the first snap in the first regular season game. Preseason is not going to be so important to him. I don't think, but Zach Charbonnet is a guy that's probably going to get the bulk of carries in preseason. And so that was kind of the way I was rolling.
0: So I I consider both of those names. I'm going to throw a curveball at you though. Uh, For me, it's Drew Locke because I think it's his, it's his show in the preseason. Uh, I think Gino is going to get the the Russell Wilson treatment. I think he's going to play very little. And I think, I uh, talked about this on the show with Bob Condota that he thinks that one of the reasons that Drew was willing to come back is the Seahawks probably made some assurances to him that he was going to get a lot of chance to get snaps and get some film uh, this preseason. And another year in the system, you know, if Gino ever goes down, we need to know what we have there. And we also need to know what we have kind of heading into a, a draft next year that's a heavy and very well-respected quarterback draft this far out. I'm excited to see him play and see if maybe he's the next Geno Smith. Maybe he's a guy that they like well enough to just keep bringing back year after year instead of investing in, in developing a young quarterback behind Geno. So I think it'll be interesting to see if he takes any steps forward. Next question. Uh, to this point, as we sit here today, what do you both feel is the most unresolved camp position battle? Because there aren't many on this roster. Bill, I'll start with you.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a couple, um, like Michael, ja- I mentioned Michael Jackson mm. earlier, Michael Jackson versus insert name. Um, cause, cause everything you've heard about in the, uh, mini camps and in the off season is that this guy's just knocking it out of the park. I think, uh, Pete Carroll used the word, you know, outstanding and stellar and, you know, all the adjectives for him. Um, but the one I, I honed in on was Anthony Bradford versus Phil Haynes. Mm. Um, and, and the reason for that is that I think that, you know, and Keith and I have talked about this on our show is that I think the team would favor Anthony Bradford, wanting him to be able to win that spot in camp. Um, and I, you know, and if Phil Haynes is healthy, all things being equal, that's going to be a battle, um, because he's not going to want to give up that spot. This is Phil's opportunity to take the starting role into the uh, regular season. And, you know, he's only... He started a handful of games at this point in his career, really. Um, he split some time last year, uh, but he only had three starts. Um, but I, I, this this battle intrigues me a lot. You could There's a number of different little ones you know, throughout the roster. Yeah. This is the big one, I think. Keith?
2: Well, I was going to go right next door to that, wow. and that's at center. I thought you might. Um, Evan Brown versus Oluwotimi, uh, for the starting center job with essentially it, the same explanation. I mean, you've got a veteran on a one-year deal who's actually can play all three positions so he's got a lot of value as a backup probably more so than as a starter because he's not he's you know he's not a frontline starter he's not um he's league average at best um whereas you got a young kid who's under team control for four years and I think they'd love for Oluwutimi to um step up win that job own that job uh the question then comes like It's the same question we had last year. Are they really going to start two rookie offensive linemen week one? Last year it was both tackles. Now it's going to be center and right guard. Are they really going to do that two years in a row? Have four players that are in their first or second year? That would be crazy.
0: Certainly interesting. I I did see a Brandon Thorne posted today on Twitter that the Seahawks are 32nd in the league in total expenditure on their offensive line. So obviously very young up there. I certainly looked at both those position battles. I think those are key. Um, if I was going to go a different direction, I might just kind of go in a more general sense. Just that that outside linebacker group is who's going to kind of step forward there. Um, you know, Daryl Taylor, Boye, Maffe and Derek uh-huh. Hall of those three kind of, which guy's going to come out week one and, and get the most snaps there. Um, I think that'll be fun to watch. Interesting to watch, especially because I don't think Nuoso will get a lot of snaps in the preseason. Um, next question. Most overlooked player right now, player that isn't being talked about for good reasons or bad, but that you think should be talked
1: about. I'll go first. Um, go for T- it. Tyreek Smith. I think, the mm-hmm. edge rusher. Uh, you just mentioned that battle uh, into camp. I think he comes into play this year. It's like having another uh, draft pick, if you will. Didn't play at all. Didn't see the field at all. Had one practice last year. Team's raving about him. Guys coming in to, show, uh, to, to work hard. Um, he's fast. He's quick. Clint Hurt mentioned him, singled him out a couple times. So did Pete Carroll. Um, he's right in there in the competition. And it's, it's crowded. I mean, yeah. it's going to be really crowded. Um, you've got, uh, Uchenna Nwasu and Daryl Taylor up at the top. And then you've got Boya Mafi who has earned more opportunities and more snaps. Last year, we saw him in a kind of a, a run fit role this year. I think he gets an opportunity to show everything that he's got in his entire repertoire, as far as the pass rush is concerned. Um, Derek Hall, we drafted, uh, is going to come into play there. Um, Alton Robinson. We don't know what his status is yeah. at this point yet. Um, whether he's still in favor, um, with the club or if he's on the outside looking in and then you've got Tariq Smith and you know coming out he, he was kind of a underrated player didn't test well but team really likes him and he's got a real good opportunity here.
0: Yeah, it's interesting just today I saw uh, an interview with Yannick Ngakwe who, who in any other year might have some appeal to the Seahawks especially this late in the process probably comes at a pretty affordable price and even he says he's stumped as to why he hasn't been hasn't been signed by anyone he's he's had eight or more sacks in every year he's ever played and he's a 28 years old but you look at the seahawks roster and i've had some fans ask me about in they just they've invested a lot of draft capital there and they have a lot of young guys so that'll be a fun one to watch
2: keith yeah who do you got they there are job there are veterans that need to be signed to help this team and uh pass rusher outside you know uh, edge rusher is not one of them yeah. um they need help in other places but um, as far as under uh, or overlooked guy, I would go with um, uh, Jarek Young, hmm. the um, wide receiver. He was a guy who made the roster, did, played a lot of special teams um, last year and was, I mean, he's big, he's fast. He looked like he could do the job. Uh, in preseason last year, he had a lot of drops and that cost him, I think, a role um, until late in the year. And But he did seem to earn back some trust between the coaching staff and um, uh, with Chino. And I think that he has a chance to come in and really um, get a hold of that fourth receiver spot um, behind, you know, the big two and, and JSN. And then um, from there, right, I mean, he's, he's got physical talent. And so I, I think that he has a chance to really grab onto that. And especially cause he, he is willing to play special teams and play any role in special teams. So that helps.
0: Yeah. It was interesting to see how much they trusted him and how, how creatively they used him at the end of last season, for sure. Um, I went a little different route on this one as, as opposed to looking at someone that I think is, is kind of a, a breakout star in waiting. Um, the guy that I just was fascinated didn't get talked about in, in OTAs and mini camp. Um, and I can't put my finger on why is Devin Bush. And this is why, and I almost included him as my guy that I wanted to watch the most. Didn't hear anything about him struggling. Didn't hear anything about him standing out. He just kind of flew under the radar. And I know they're going to play a lot of schematic stuff this year where Bobby's the only inside linebacker on the field and Bush isn't going to necessarily be out there every down, but I think his position certainly is key and we're concerned about the depth behind him. Um, I just found it interesting that he's been so quiet since he, since he signed and and interested to see what he looks like when we get out there.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, given, I mean, he came on, um, after being drafted and looked really good until yeah. his injury. And then he, since then he's looked mediocre. Um, and so I'm just excited to see him, you know, in a fresh location, you know, new home. Um, can he get back to the high level that he was as a rookie? Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, they say it takes two full seasons sometimes after a a serious injury like that, before you get your explosiveness back, maybe this is that, that second season. And then I had uh, one other question before we get, we're going to play some true or false. I'm looking forward to this, um, that I thought I'd throw at you just because I saw a graphic that was posted, um, yesterday about top, uh, pressure rate from interior defensive linemen last year and Shelby Harris's name popped up. I think he was third in the league behind Quentin Williams and a couple other big names. He's still unsigned, still sitting out there. To my knowledge, I haven't seen any reported visits with him, haven't seen any reports of him considering retirement. We've talked all offseason about how we're still concerned with the youth and inexperience up front. Does Shelby Harris still fit on this roster if they were considering bringing him back, Bill?
1: Yeah. You know, he was fourth in that list uh, behind Quinnen Williams, Javon Hargrave, and Dexter Lawrence. There you go. Uh, but he was just right there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you go take a look at pro football focus. He also had a 60 or 76.9, um, run defense grade. So he wasn't the problem last year. You know, yeah. last year, Seattle was the third worst run defense in the league. Um, but he wasn't the guy that was, that was the cause of that. I don't think he was still able to get out, set the edge, affect the pass rush occasionally. Uh, obviously, um, not a lot of sacks, but some, some good pressure rate and, the, the deal is, is that, yeah, he does, but Jerron Reed's there now. Um, they brought in Jerron Reed instead of Shelby Harris, essentially, to play the, the same role in this defense. And they brought in Mario Edwards to kind of help with the, with the stopping the run. Mario Edwards not going to give you a lot when it comes to rushing the passer, but he's a good run defender. Um, so is there a spot for Shelby? I mean, he fits the scheme but is there a spot and can he make the roster and, no. you know, do they have other alternatives. They also drafted Mike Morris mm-hmm. talked about him moving inside to the three tech as well. So it's pretty crowded there. Yeah.
2: I mean, he was the best defensive lineman in terms of performance last year on this uh, team, which is not a high bar to get over. Cause the defensive <laughs> line was bad. Um, there's got to be there. there, It it comes down to salary cap room and cost and that kind of stuff. Um, I think there's got to be a spot for him. Um, Would you really not bring Shelby Harris back because you have Mario Williams?
0: Yeah. I just, I wonder, (laughs) I wonder if there's, you know, culture is such a big deal to the Seahawks and we see it time and time again, more the last couple of years than ever in how they identify prospects and, and, and uh, how they stack their draft board. He seemed to take a leadership role in that locker room, but I just have to wonder if maybe there just wasn't a fit personality-wise in some way there um, or that somehow that that bridge got burned in a way that we're not sure of because it it did seem to make the most sense. And even throughout the offseason when Pete was really open during that time when the defensive line was a question about we'd love to have Puna back, we'd love to have Al back, mentioned Shelby a couple of times when pressed but never seemed as enthusiastic. So, I don't know, maybe maybe he's a guy that'll just kind of sit home and let camp unfold and wait for a team that, that uh, has an injury or, or performance issues, and maybe he's a guy that gets added late.
1: I did see that graphic you were talking about up front, uh, listing him as the third or fourth best um, pressure rate guy in the league from the defensive tackle position, and he had some eyeballs on his Twitter feed and said coming soon. Um, so, maybe there's some movement there for him. Obviously, as this thing gets closer to training camp or even a week into training camp, that's the time when a guy like Shelby Harris is going to want to come in and and sign a deal so he doesn't have to spend the entire offseason doing the grind and then um, comes in kind of a a spot almost guaranteed for him.
0: All right. I thought it'd be fun was uh, just kind of thinking about a way we could sort of do a, not a rapid fire, but but get through some issues um, and keep it under three hours. And if you're, not, but for those of you not sure what we're uh, discussing, I think it was 2018 or 19. Uh, it still lives on my YouTube page somewhere. If you scroll back far enough, literally, we got together and talked for three hours in a training training camp preview. Unfortunately, there's some audio issues. It's a little bit hard to no, hear. Sure. Uh, but yeah, that was a good time over at Aussie. And, Corbin, and uh, Corbin
1: Smith was on that. Lower and, yeah, and Yeah, we had a great time. Corbin joined yeah, us and reprise that thing at some point.
0: I think we were actually pretty. <laughs> impressed with ourselves that we kept it two, three hours, given all of us who were on the microphone that day. (laughs) Uh, we're going to do true or false and we'll alternate, right? So we'll go Bill and then Keith and then Keith and then Bill. And I just kind of, these are in no particular order. I just kind of threw these in here. Just, um, let's start with this one. Let's talk about Jamal Adams, right? Um, we've seen some interesting safety rankings coming out in the last couple of days. Uh, we've seen his workout videos coming off the patella tendon injury. Or the quad tendon injury that was suffered in the opener last year, so he's had a full calendar year now almost to recover. Um, Pete's been sort of, um, well, a, a little bit. He's waffled on this a little bit. He's been a little conservative, but Jamal seems to think he'll be he'll be back for the opener. True or false, Jamal Adams starts the opener against the Rams?
1: Wow, um, he's he's almost a candidate to to be a uh, surprise cut you know in, in camp he's also uh, a candidate to be most improved uh, player comeback player of the year I mean it's just all over the board with him and yeah and what do you do with that like does the can the team depend on him is he here you know you listen to Pete Pete's you know uh ambivalent at best about him and and then Jamal is like yeah let's go um I said false I just don't know if the, if if I can trust that if the team can trust it, Um, I don't even know if Jamal trusts it. Here's the deal. You know, Jamal plays like a linebacker in a defensive back body. And I'm just not so sure that he can hold up to the rigors of the NFL going forward. I mean, I love his playing style. I, I get it. I know that he's passionate about the game and stuff. But we got Julian Love now. He's a little bit more dependable. I mean, as far as uh, being available, uh, which is a, a huge thing in the NFL, and, and for Pete Carroll and um, and Diggs, and they really like uh, Jurek Reed, new draft pick. A couple of guys that they they got um, in, in undrafted last year, Joey Blount, and then uh, Jonathan Sutherland this year. It's pretty crowded for Jamal. I don't, I don't know. Team could save a little bit of money and pay a defensive tackle. Hmm. And I I may like to see that actually.
0: Keith, true or false?
2: Um, see, so I'm going to disagree with Bill. I think true. I think that if the team was going to save that money and use it for a defensive tackle, they should have done it in March, um, when sure. they could have given him the June 1st designation and cut him loose mm-hmm. and saved 9 million that they needed desperately. Um, this is and really funny
1: to me, by the way, because we're complete opposite of the way that we've approached this entire offseason together on our own show with him as a topic.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think that he he shouldn't start, but I also think he shouldn't be on the roster at this point. But he is on the roster. They've carried him to here. They fixed their cap issues and um, dealt with offseason and free agency and everything with him on the roster. And I just don't think you carry him to this point and deal with the mess that they had to deal with in order to fit that contract under the cap um, to not play him. Um, I think that they're going to run him out there and see if he can be the guy they thought they were trading for. Hmm. And this will be his his last run in Seattle if he can't.
0: Yeah, I think we all agree on that. Uh, anything barring a healthy, productive year and and they cut him next year. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to say false, but, but with a caveat, I think he'll be healthy enough to play week one. They're just going to be ultra conservative with him. And this is assuming everyone's healthy because they – they're not as dependent on him as they were week one last year because they can play Julian Love at strong safety alongside Quandre Diggs. They can play Witherspoon in the slot if that's where they want to start with him with Michael Jackson on the outside if he continues to play as well. They've got some depth and some options there. So I'm going to say that he'll be healthy enough if push came to shove, but that they're just going to be really, really careful with him and kind of see what they have um, mm-hmm. Elsewhere as well. Uh, what about Jordan Brooks? Not week one. He's another guy that sounds, and it's interesting that we hear an ambulance going by in the background. Now, this is not for Jordan Brooks, I hope. Um, so uh, when a little bit different, um, you know, he says, you know, Pete Carroll has said that Jordan Brooks thinks he's going to be ready week one. That would be an astounding recovery from ACL surgery for an interior linebacker. But the buy is week four. If he's on the pup list, uh, it's the first six weeks that you have to be out, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say, what would that, I think I, I told you guys week six, I guess technically that would be week seven. Um, do you think Jordan Brooks, true or false? Keith, start with you. Jordan Brooks is ready for week seven.
2: Yes, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's going to be one of those guys that people are going to be watching and there's going to be, you know, a Jordan Brooks watch during camp, um, for him running and that kind of stuff. But at some point, we're gonna know that he's not ready because he's not practicing he's just working out um but they'll get him healthy they'll get him conditioned and then they'll get him on the field but it's going to take him a bit
1: yeah this is exactly why we signed bobby wagner you know because we knew that he wasn't going to be he had that acl on the 8th of um january 2023 the average acl return uh is nine months that would put it you know the first week of october uh, which is in line with what you're talking about um, but but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that he's going to be full strength or, or 100% um, and so there's no real rush to to rush him out there if 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 necessary so i'm going to say false i'm going to say that they wait a little longer slow roll that thing back a little bit i i think Devin Bush plays probably better than advertised everyone's dishing on him right now i think that he's you know league average, no. in, probably, and next to Bobby Wagner and an improved defense around him, I think that he's he's a pretty decent player for for Seattle. And there's so there's no rush with Jordan Brooks coming back. Now, with that said, though, he's in the contract year. He's going to be itching to get out there, prove uh, something. But if they, if they slow roll him out there, there's an opportunity maybe for Seattle to sign him on a one-year deal, prove it, deal no. next year. So I see that coming.
0: I'm leaning false, too, just because I do think they're going to be careful. Pete has referenced John Radigan's injury. Uh, the, the timeline in where it occurred during the season was similar. He didn't come back till November. Now, I know that's a different player we're talking about, not as important, um, and that they'd like to get Brooks out there as soon as possible. But also, kind of to your point, Bill, Pete was adamant this offseason that despite the fact that they uh, declined his fifth-year option, Uh, in light of the injury that they absolutely see him being a long-term part of this defense. And I think, uh, I don't think they'll take any risk putting him out there too early in a position that's that demanding on your knee. I mean, they all are, but uh, especially playing, I think in the interior on the defense like that as a linebacker. So uh, I'm going to lean false on that one as well. Uh, This one I think is fun. I know, I, I know where you, or you probably know where I stand on this one because I've talked about it this off season. Um, I have said openly, so I'll just give my answer up front, that I think there's a really good chance that Jackson Smith and Jigba leads the team in receptions this year. Bill, true or false?
1: Yeah, I'm going to say false. Um, Historically, that's really hard to do, Um, especially when you've got guys like Lockett and Medcalf in front of uh, him. Um, I think his ceiling is high, definitely skyrocketing high. But even for the best of of rookies, uh, wide receivers, you're going to look at like 65 receptions, 700 yards. Seven Jalen Waddell
0: would disagree like with you.
1: No, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> look at the talent in front of him. And I, I, and, and all the other options that Gino's going to have in this offense. Yeah. Because of that, I think that he's not nece- he's not diminished, but he, I think he's just capped out artificially because of that ball's going to have to, be spread around a little bit and I think you know he's he's definitely gonna help the team I mean 65 receptions 700 yards seven touchdowns that's a great I'll take that campaign yeah and it sets him mm-hmm. really well into the future I just don't know that he's gonna exceed that and, and in order to lead the team in receptions he would have to like he would have to have 85 to 95 receptions I think to lead this team.
2: Keith? I'm also gonna say false I know that you look at last year where um, they schemed DK Metcalf the ball um, in a lot of ways and they're not going to stop doing that he's too good he's too important to the team to the offense Um, they're going to continue to scheme the ball into DK's hands and I think that just means that when you get to the end of the year he's going to have the most receptions on the team because they want him to have the most receptions on the team
0: he's their Cooper Cup I guess right Mm -hmm. Uh, the reason I feel that is just it's situationally I I just think that this offense, one area they really struggled out at, at times last year is third down, and um, you know, sometimes the tight ends didn't get as involved as we thought they were going to in those situations, and I think he's so elite operating in the middle of the field and running routes that, that I think the opportunity is going to be there for him to have that kind of a big year. Um, speaking of the tight ends, last year, those three guys, Will Disley, Colby Parkinson, Noah Fant, combined for 109 catches. Um, given everything you just talked about, adding JSN to that mix with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, adding Zach Charbonnet, another guy out of the backfield who's a pass-catching option, really excels in that area of the game. Um, Total tight end, we could could do over-under on this one, but uh, total tight end receptions will be less than last year because of the new additions. True or false?
2: I'm going to go with false. And it's not it basically the line of thinking is not in the direction that you were talking about. It has more to do with the fact that I expect this team to be better on third down and to be able to string the drives together longer. So they're going to end up running more plays overall. And if you run more plays overall, even if the rate of the ball going to the tight ends is slightly lower, they end up with more in terms of the counting stat Mm -hmm. simply because they've run more plays. They've had more drives. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why I'm going to say false.
1: Cool. I said true, but with the exact same reasoning that Keith just laid out, Um, (laughs) and the only reason I said true is is because (laughs) it's only going to be by a small margin, very small. I still see them having around 100 catches, Um, but the opportunities are going to increase based on on what Keith said is about uh, the team being more efficient on third downs, converting more third downs, having more opportunities, um, extending drives. Uh, anytime you do that, you're going to add to the opportunities. I think if you look at the defensive side of the ball, I think that this team is going to be one of the best turnover machine defenses in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to give the offense even more opportunities as well. So while the target rate for those tight ends will be lower, I believe, um, the receptions overall, I think, will be about the same. But I'm going to put slightly less only because of.
0: On right. Shane Waldron like a, this year for sure, yeah, um, great problem to have. Absolutely, I, I went true similar reasons that you both laid out. I think they're going to get the running backs more involved. You know, they they went out and drafted Zach Charbonnet and Kenny Kenny McIntosh in this draft. Both guys, especially McIntosh, really really smooth in the passing game, um, more accomplished there. Uh, than ken walker although we saw some some good things out of him and and late in the year it seemed like there were more opportunities for him too i just think they're they're going to eat into that as much as maybe jackson smith and jigba um even given multiple more opportunities i like your line of thinking there keith uh next one d eskridge will catch at least 20 passes and just for for reference sake he caught how many he caught 17 last year Mm-hmm. And Marquise Goodwin caught twenty-seven, I think, off the top of my head, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And and that would be the opportunity that's there is to kind of slide into his role. We heard all offseason about how explosive and how healthy he looked, how available he was. Tyler Lockett talked effusively about him. Is this the year that we get consistent enough? And and this is not a high bar. 20 passes is not a high bar. D Eskridge, 20 passes or 20 catches, true or false.
1: Uh, true. I think that he's got a unique skill set that's that's very divergent from Derek Young, and that puts him in an opportunity to uh, be a kind of a chess piece for Shane Waldron in this offense. Um, and if healthy, again, year, um, he's going to catch at least 20 passes because uh, I think the increased opportunities are there. They're going to use him as, as a nice little um, shifty thing out of the backfield uh, get him open in space and give him a chance to, to use that skill set. We just haven't had an opportunity to see yet. Yeah. Um, sorry, put true. Sure.
2: Keith? Um, 20 is an interesting number. Um, I'm going to say false one, because I don't trust him to stay healthy. Um, and I don't know I, so I expect him to miss a chunk of the season, um, due to injuries. Um, the other part is I just look at how far down he is on the list of targets. Mm. Right. Um, You compared him to um, Marquise Goodwin, who was the third wide receiver on the team. Well, Eskridge is going to be the fourth wide receiver on this team. So he's going to be under that. And then you add in the tight ends and the running backs Mm -hmm. as well. I just think that that just keeps pushing Eskridge down. The other part is he's probably going to end up being, if he's healthy, um, the primary punt returner. And they're that's going to be like kind of his focus. He's going to be out there for that. He'll get a snap here or there on offense, but I don't expect him to play um, with the offense that much.
0: I'm going to say false too. Just, I just don't trust him yet. You know, I'm, I'm very much in a, in a show me state with him and, you know, off season's great. great. Uh, we hear it all the time about players and uh, we got to see it once, once the bullets start to fly. So I'm going to lean false on that one. Uh, next one. The starting nose tackle week one is not currently on the roster. Keith, you're up first.
2: False. Starting nose tackle is on the roster. It's Cameron Young. What is not on the roster is the other nose tackle that they'll carry because you always ha- you need two, right? You got to have a backup because nobody plays 100 of the snaps. Um, they don't have another nose tackle on the roster, so I think Cameron Young does end up starting week one but they still have to add another body at that
1: mm-hmm. position. Yeah. I, I said true in that Cameron Young is a rookie. hasn't taken a snap in the NFL. They're just not going to hand him the, the the nose tackle spot. I, I honestly believe the final play hasn't been um, made to, to add a uh, starting caliber nose tackle to this roster. Now, I agree with Keith that it's going to be a rotation there. Um You've got free agents out there like Akeem Hicks, uh, Chris Wormley, uh, Nimdapik and Sue, Dwayne Smoots out there. A potential trade target I just kind of want to throw out there. Maybe you guys will shoot me down or you might agree. Uh, defensive tackle Grover Stewart uh, out of Indianapolis, mm. aged 30 years old. He's 6'4", 315 pounds, 2017 fourth rounder. Last year of his three-year deal, paying him close to 2 and paying DeForest Buckner $21 million. Um, They may want to get some value out of him. He has a dead cap hit of $1.25
0: talking semantics here because you, you both touched on the the rotation and and Pete's been open about how how simplistic that position is in their scheme and they can plug in someone at the last minute I'm going to say true on this one because I do think I was concerned in Pete's last press conference where he spoke to the media after the last mandatory mini camp, where he said some nice things about Cameron Young but they he seemed guarded and, and I I think hes- they might end up being hesitant to just put too much on his plate. They like him. There's no question they targeted him in this draft. There's a lot to like there. And they have a history of going out and getting guys late. Tony McDaniel, they signed one year right before the first game. One of the times they brought Al Woods back was right before the opener when he had been on another roster. Um, I can see somebody, especially this year with the, the cut directly from 90 to 53, someone being available. That's a little more experience that they can plug in there right away and just take some of the load off young and some of the pressure as a rookie. Certainly he's going to play. He's going to be in that rotation, but I, I just have a hunch that that's a position that they're going to address.
2: I think there's a reasonably good chance that Al Woods is the guy they bring back because I don't know if he's going to he's make a, the roster. He's not a lock to Jason. make the roster. And, um, though, you
0: know, he has to beat out Quentin Jefferson. <laughs> they're both on
2: that um, Jets roster but yeah. they do different things. Right. I, I right. just have, um, I just I don't, I don't know if he's going to make that roster. And if he does become available again, Seattle will swoop in and, and bring him back because they love him.
0: Yeah. He's not going to start for the jets and they're paying him, you know, solid veteran money. It's uh, that is, that is something to consider. Yeah. There's, he's not a lock to make that 53 man roster in New York for certain. Uh, and I think the Seahawks know that. I think it was one of the reasons they felt comfortable letting him test the market too. Uh okay next one someone other than Tariq Woolen will lead the team in interceptions true or false can't remember where we left off who's next
1: I'll go um true I remember? think that, <laughs> I think that and, and I only said this is, is so we can have a little fun here because it's obviously gonna you know Woolen but there is a scenario where his opportunities to pick off um passes is diminished this year, Mm -hmm. just because guys avoid him. He's, he's proven himself to be a lockdown guy. Last year was no fluke. He's going to come in uh, with a chip on his shoulder this year with a better corner next to him. On Mm -hmm. the other side, Diggs is freed up to play free safety the way that he likes to play. He doesn't have to worry about these young kids anymore making mistakes. Uh, The whole thing just kind of works really well. And so the only reason I said true is because you've got other players with unique opportunities and, and ball Hawks on this team. Devin Witherspoon is, is, uh, you know, uh, plays the ball really well and aggressive. Uh, Kobe Bryant, and Trey Brown both do as well. You take a look at, um, uh, Julian love and of course, um, digs is, is no slouch, uh, intercepting the ball. So there's opportunities to go around. I, I think that it is spread out a little bit more. Woolen had what six, seven last year, I Six, think that yeah. he probably ends up having four or five this year and then everyone else kind of gets a share.
2: Um, I'm also long well, for that uh, somewhat other than him. I'll say that's true. I just think that um, you look at what happened with Quandre Diggs last year, where at the beginning of the year, he was all over the place trying to account for other people and not really doing his job the way he was supposed to. And once he started to trust Jackson Woolen and he really settled down and um, and just did his job instead of trying to do all of their jobs. um, He played a lot better and that's when he got his interceptions and that's when he started taking over games and and looking like a pro bowler and all of that. And I think coming in to this year, he's going to have that confidence in those guys at the beginning. And you're going to see him just being out there patrolling uh, the center field and picking off anything that goes deep.
0: I think this is the first one we all agree on. I'm going to say true as well. I think a combination of what you both said, I think, uh, teams are going to tend to stay away from Wollan. maybe not test him as much. They are going to test the rookie. They are going to test Mike Jackson. And I also think the Quandre Diggs factor is a big one, not just his um, sticking to his own responsibilities. But clearly he was more explosive and healthy at the end of last year than he was at the beginning and looked like his old self and hopefully will hit the ground running this year. I, I, I think, like Bill said earlier, I think they're going to be a turnover-heavy defense. And there's going to be a lot of picks and they're going to be spread around pretty evenly. And there's a good chance that Woolen we'll will not be the leader in that category. Uh, let's stick with the cornerbacks. So we've kind of touched on this. So we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but Keith start with you. Uh, if Mike Jackson picks up where he left off in OTAs, does Devin Witherspoon, the rookie number five overall draft pick actually start the season in the slot?
2: Um, that question depends on how you want to look at it. I'm going to say Yes. But also no, because he's going to start the year as the outside corner, but move into the slot when they go to the nickel and Jackson's going to come in as the outside corner. Okay. Um, and so they're going to end up rotation that way. Cause you don't want Jackson's an outside only guy. He's going to, he needs a boundary. Right. right. Um, and so they'll play witherspoon on the outside, but when they go to the third corner, he slides inside to make room for Jackson. Um, so yes, he's the starter in the slot, but he's also the starter on the outside. So, um, I don't know. You figure that if that's true or false, I can't tell.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to say the exact same thing. Yeah. Basically, I think that's the way I'm reading it as well. I think that the team definitely wants him to be the starter uh, on this defense and on the outside opposite Tariq Wollin. But what do you do about Mike Jackson? It's a nice problem to have, but Mike can't play in the slot. So yeah, Devin starts on the outside, moves inside um, on, on, you know, third and long. And that's, I think that's the way they handle it. Yeah. We're but all on the same page speculative and, uh, right now.
0: Yeah. I wanted to address it though. Cause, cause I do hear from some fans that they, they feel like any suggestion that Witherspoon's going to play inside is some sort of indictment on spending that kind of draft capital on a corner that high in the draft, if he's not an outside corner. And, and I just think, you know, with modern day NFL offenses and how they operate and, and, uh, and all of that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think we're going to see, I think Mike, you know, Credit to Mike Jackson for stepping up and Absolutely. and just not giving in and 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 really making something out of his career after he'd been a cast off from a couple of other organizations before the Seahawks, you know, found him a home. So, uh, let's see. We got a couple left. Now we're gonna talk about the pass rush a little bit, uh, and we did talk about those outside linebackers last year. Chenin Nuosu led the team in sacks. This kind of maybe a little bit of a trick question, similar to the Tariq Wolin one. True or false, someone other than Uchenna Nwosu leads the team in sacks. Bill, I think it's your turn.
1: I said false. Okay. Um, and the reason being is that you could you could say, well, Daryl Taylor has an opportunity. Uh, you could say that with Brian Mafe, a couple other guys. But is the guy. I mean, he's the guy that's going to benefit from all those other guys. Um, our draft pick, Derek Hall, coming in. Um, you look at uh, Dre Jones helping him on the inside. Um, he's the beneficiary of, of the, the, the remade front seven, and um, I think he actually increases his opportunities and his totals in a contract year.
2: Keith? Um, I um, am going to say true. I think someone else does, and the name that came to mind was Daryl Taylor, because Taylor had the same number of sacks as Nuwasu last year. They both had nine and a half, and Taylor did that in half a season because he played awful in the first half and then the coaches had to basically um, fix what he was doing and what, what they were doing with him and let him actually do what he does best. And that's get after the quarterback. And once they did that, he just went off and that's, and he ended up getting, um, you know, nine and a half sacks in the final eight games. Um, I think that if you unleash him, even if it's in the situational role where he's playing 35% of the snaps, but it's only as a pass rusher and only, you know, in those situations, I think he can get to the quarterback enough to uh, get himself 12 sacks in a year.
0: I said, uh, I'm going to go with false. I I think Nuoso will ultimately end up uh, leading the team in sacks again, in part because I think we've talked about how many bodies there are at that position. I think there's going to be a real rotation there. Um, I don't see someone locking down the other bookend spot against, you, you know, with Nuosu and getting anywhere close to his snap count. Um, Draymond Jones gave me pause. I think things are set up for him to potentially have a big year sack-wise and, uh, and push Nuosu for that spot. Uh, we're going to stick with that player for the next question. True or false? Bill, I think you're up first. Wait, nope. Keith is up first. Yeah. Uh, Uchenna Nuosu does sign an extension before the season starts. Seahawks have a history of signing big-name extension candidates shortly after camp starts, once we get into camp and players arrive, is Nuosu gonna get an extension before week one?
2: I'm gonna say false. I think that um given the number of bodies that they have at the position, um, they will they will let this play out because if Nuosu has a big year, then he's gonna go get paid somewhere and they'll be happy for him. If he has a you know okay year well then why are they paying him? Why wouldn't they just let Hall have those snaps um, a year from now? And so um, I I think the answer is going to be no, they're not going to resign him. Not, not now, like maybe after the year is over, but not right away.
1: Bill, I think I would have agreed with Keith um, prior to the draft. And then we drafted Hall, you know, with the second pick overall, which essentially is Nuasu's rotation guy. And I think that, that, diminishes the need to address this before the season starts. And I think they they do let this play out a little bit. It might happen. Um, You know, I don't think there'd be any complaints, probably not from the three of us. He's a great player. He's uh, the type of player that they'd like to have. He's a leader. Um, He's a good locker room guy and shows, uh, you know, everything by example. So with all that, yeah, sign him, give him a three-year extension. Uh, lower the cap at this year gives you a little bit more flexibility. Maybe make an in-season trade if if, if it comes to that, if they need to address a certain situation, but I just don't see it.
0: Yeah. This, this one's really changed over the last few months, right? Like I, I I would have been true and really, really pounding the table for this a few months ago for the reasons that you mentioned getting that cap relief this year, signing a, a, you know, maybe the best free agent that they've brought in in their entire tenure here up until this point. Uh, We haven't seen what Draymond Jones is going to do, how he's going to fit in. But look at the history. We've seen them not want to pay top-of-the-market pass rusher salary for Jadeveon Clowney, for Frank Clark, end up trading him to the Chiefs. Um, I I don't see them wanting to do that again if he has a huge year. So I think, as Keith said, I think they'll let it play out. And uh, nobody in the league or not many people in the league are better at John Schneider than really accurately assessing value and knowing if they can let a guy go out on the market or not. You always have the franchise tag you can use if you need to. Um, And also I think the Seahawks roster might finally be set up in a way that after years of not playing the comp pick game at all, because they had bigger needs and they had to bring in some free agents from outside, they might be in a position to do so next year. And and if they could, if they let him walk and he signs a nice contract somewhere else to get a third or fourth round comp pick in return form. So I think, did we end up all agreeing on that one?
2: We did. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, last one. The final 53-man roster, true or false, will include someone the Seahawks trade for between now and then?
1: Um, yeah, I, I do. I. You know, even if it's a small trade, you know, uh, flip a seventh-round pick for somebody to come in and fill a spot. Maybe it's a rotational defensive tackle. Uh, maybe not the guy that I was thinking about earlier. Um, but... I think that Schneider's got a history of, of of doing things like this to to just tweak that final tweak to get the, them over the edge um, before they hit the regular season to make sure everything is um, is optimized. And so, yeah, I could see them doing that.
2: Kate, obviously true. Uh, just mainly because of that Pete or, um, John Snyder has a history. You go through and you'll get almost every year he makes some sort of a little acquisition right, you know, during cutdowns. Um, you know, where they throw a sixth round pick at someone for a, a, a safety that never gets on the field with the defense, but is a key special teams player mm-hmm. or, you know, something like that, just to get that 53rd man on the roster that they like. Um, and I could see that happening. And then there's still the defensive tackle issue, the nose tackle yeah. that we've discussed already. So that's another possibility.
0: Uh, top of my head, I think John Reed might be the last time we we saw them trade a pick right before camp for a player. Right? I I'm going to go false on this one. I just think it speaks to I think they feel that good about the depth in this roster, the young depth, um, barring injury, of course, and and a glaring need. And and I think we've seen a shift in the last four or five years from John Schneider and Pete Carroll. They used to they used to love using their draft picks as as uh, currency. Uh, not always to great effect. I think they, they, they view them as gold now and they've really locked into something in their draft process and it would take something pretty massive. And, and they're, I think they're also trying to, to manage their salary cap in such a way that they're being responsible, not just this year, but two, three years down the road. So I'm going to say false. I think, I think our final 53 man roster, uh, will be made up of players currently on the 90 or cap or not cap cuts, but roster cuts on that big cut down. Um, that's another, that's another factor I think that plays into this. We haven't seen this before, and it's going to be fascinating to see how teams handle this. Are you going to be less willing to give up a draft pick to ensure you get a guy before he's cut, knowing that you know, there's going to be a massive wave of free agency, essentially, when that happens, and maybe someone else will be available. So
1: We're about ready to hit this, this new window of opportunity, though, with this roster. Um, we were in the win-now mode with Russell Wilson for a, a decade literally and so you did see moves like that aggressive moves moves that gave up future opportunity future draft capital for win now opportunities and we're getting close to that and so if there is an opportunity that john schneider identifies that he can help this roster now because he realizes that we're going to get past the first round in the playoffs if we do it um and, and they just need that nudge i think they would do it
0: You know what I could see is I I keep thinking about how open Schneider was this year uh, after the first round of the draft and particularly in the press conference after the third round where he talked over and over. He talked about how they got sniped a couple of times. They had upsets. They had guys in the draft that they liked that they thought were going to fall to him and didn't. And, and even on day three, there were some of those guys too. And he referenced it over and over again. I thought that was interesting. If one of those guys is in jeopardy of not making his roster ends up not having a good camp and is on a bubble, maybe they would see that as an opportunity to go get a guy and add to that draft class in a sense. But, um, but I'm gonna stick with my earlier answer guys. We did it. Uh, we came in two hours and seven minutes less than our longest training camp preview. (laughs) Uh, always appreciate you guys being on the show. Take a second and let the, let the listeners know, uh, what you got coming up between now and the start of training camp on your show, the Seahawks playbook podcast.
1: Well, I think we're going to do some, some, uh, looks at training camp, um, uh, and, and take a look at camp battles coming up. I think that's going to be one of our, our shows, both on offense and defense. Um, there's, there's a lot to like about this training camp, a lot to be excited about. And I think fans should be excited. Uh, it's an opportunity for the, some of those young players to earn, uh, opportunities, earn snaps, make the roster, all that kind of stuff. So there is some, some key things there. I, I agree with Keith earlier when we talked about the interior offensive linemen, you know, being, uh, fascinating. Did they start two again this year? I mean, that would be knocking it out of the park for John Schneider a couple of years in a row. And that's how you build championships. And so if that happened, I would just be thrilled.
0: Really? Yeah. Keith, final thought.
2: Um, yeah so you're looking at um you're asking about what we're doing um we post three shows a week And you can find us everywhere. So um, we're always out there. If something happens, we're talking about it. If something doesn't happen, we're probably talking about it too. Um, So, yeah, give us a listen. If you you like Dan, you'll probably like us. (laughs) It is the Seahawks Playbook (laughs) Podcast.
0: It is available on all of the audio podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts and on their YouTube channel. I will put all of their information in the description below on the YouTube channel, how you can follow them on Twitter and a link to their show as well. As always, thank you, Bill and Keith, for joining me. And uh, we're going to talk some training camp here soon. Thanks for watching the show. I am Dan um, at Seahawks Forever on Twitter. And please, as always, hit that little subscribe button down at the bottom of the page. Best way to support and follow the channel. Until next time, go Hawks.